Hey everyone, welcome to the world's okayest entrepreneur, the podcast for the okay entrepreneur who doesn't have an MBA and is just kind of figuring it out on the fly. Today on the podcast, we welcome Darren Lynch of the Irish Titan, an e-commerce agency, but it's quite a bit different than your probably standard uh, agency, and you'll come to find out why. But honestly, what's so fun about Darren in this episode is like a lot of times, sometimes we grow these businesses and they come to a point where we're not entirely sure how to keep going. They kind of grow out of our skill set a little bit. We know we need to do some massive recalibration. And Darren really kind of talks a lot about this in this episode of kind of his, as he will come to call it, the troubles phase and really how he kind of grew out of that and has actually now gone on to thrive. He's not surviving people. He's thriving. Thriving. And get a pencil and a paper because there are some nuggets of wisdom there that you're going to want to write down. And if you're driving, don't write it down and just listen to the episode again. And now on to the episode. So it's super exciting today on the podcast. We've just been talking, but we have Darren Lynch from the Irish Titan joining us. Um, And you run an agency. And I think what's kind of fun is I would love for you to uh, imagine I'm five. Explain to my kindergartner, what exactly is an agency? (laughs) So um, we work with companies, uh, we call them merchants, hint of foreshadowing, but as a five-year-old, I would tell you, we're, we work with companies to build their websites. The five-year-old these days knows a website, 100%. right? So we work with companies to build their websites and those websites sell things. That's how I would tell uh, a five-year-old what we do. Okay. I think my five-year-old would understand that. Oh, for sure. I'm actually always kind of amazed what she does understand. I'm like, huh. Okay. You're like, like Peppa Pig? Yeah. Yeah. Peppa Pig's pretty bad. Um. How did you get into this line of work? Um, somewhat intentionally, somewhat accidentally. Uh, quick aside, I'll mention though, my parents are in their 80s and I started Irish Titan 20 years ago. So I'll flip the five-year-old scenario. My parents, my mom the other day said, we still don't really know what you really do, but we're really proud of you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my gosh. So I think 80-year-olds yeah. might have a tougher uh, challenge understanding what we do than a five-year-old. Seriously. <laughs> I mean, it's been the informational renaissance. So yeah. 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 Like in their lifetime. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. 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 20 years later, they still don't know what I do, though. Yeah. Um, but uh, I guess, you know, um, so I grew up in a, on a farm in a small town in Iowa. And I was, I think, pretty uh, apparent that I was not going to stay on the farm. Um, I, I liked it growing up, but there's a picture of me when I was five uh, on the tractor with dad wearing a tie, you know, and, <laughs> yes. and things like that. So I, I was sort of wired a little bit differently and uh sort of really gravitated towards business and also uh even though our town was small when i say small i mean it was a small town we had 59 students in my high school class 61 if you count the two foreign exchange students yeah. and i don't know what the hell they did to get excommunicated <laughs> in my hometown uh-huh um, the hometown my hometown is nashua which most people haven't heard of uh the big towns of five to six thousand people were waverly charles city and new hampton some of which people have heard of Wartburg College is in Waverly. We were an hour from Waterloo and Mason City, which are yeah. towns many people have heard of, at least in Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, so even though I was in a small town, we had a really strong high school and we were fortunate enough to have a computer lab in the early 80s. Uh, oh, wow. So when I was in middle school, I started to junior high, as we called it in Iowa, I started to go to the computer lab and, and get into programming. And I think that I had a natural affinity towards technology. So that set me down the path. And um, as I mentioned, I, I always wanted to own my own business. Uh, so I gravitated towards that combination of technology and business. And, and then I had a career path that unfolded in a way that, again, was a combination of, of luck and intention that led me to uh, digital 
and more specifically e-commerce. And that really appealed to me because I think that digital itself is the intersection of three disciplines that I like a lot. Um, it's the combination of technology, design, and marketing, right? Um, and that's compelling to me. Uh, but what really became attractive to me about e-commerce when I got exposed to that way back in 1998 is it is not just a combination of those three uh, disciplines, but it, it's also layered on top of actual business, mm -hmm. right? Because if you're doing a, a quote unquote regular website, a lot of the metrics around that are either inferred or about driving traffic. And then it's up to the company. Irish Titan itself, we don't sell product on our site, right? So digital marketing for us, if we were hiring somebody else to do it, it would be about driving people to our site. Then it's up to us to do something with that. From an e-commerce perspective, which is where we specialize, it's about getting people to the site, but getting them to actually purchase. There's acquisition, conversion, retention funnels yeah. that are different. And so that might be the practical farmer upbringing in mm -hmm. me with tying those three disciplines together to actual business results. So when you were a child, if I was to ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would you have answered? Batman, yes. um, <laughs> which I might still say, actually. Uh -huh. And who knows? Maybe I am. He doesn't have superpowers, yeah. right? Um, but I'll, I'll circle that to it. Which an era of Batman? All. So uh, I am a comics nerd. Yeah. Um, and I still get the comics and I'm DC, not Marvel. And I could talk about this all day. <laughs> We're about to go off the rails. I mean, I'm a, I have a very high Christopher Nolan Batman okay. era. So yep. I'm bigger, big Christopher Nolan fans over here. And like that Batman yep. trilogy was like. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. That, that trilogy is untouchable. Although yeah. I think the most recent, The Batman yeah. is actually the best Batman movie. And I, I, I promise I won't go off the rails. Whereas I think The Dark Knight is the best uh comic book superhero movie ever okay um so kind of a little bit of a distinction there but anyway so growing up i was a batman yeah and uh for some reason it always appealed to me probably because he's a little bit dark um and doesn't have any actual superpowers etc so mm. uh again growing up on a farm the the bus would take us home every day and half the year it would take one route and half the year would take another route so that the kids that got off last um, one half of the year, we're not getting off last all year, mm -hmm. right? Well, that route came to a T intersection on a, uh, a gravel road T intersection, yeah. about a mile from my parents' farm. And half the year would take a right, half the year would take a left. If it took a left, I got off like one minute later. If it took a right, um, I got off like an hour later. Yeah. So if it was nice out, I would get off the bus frequently so I could run home to watch the 330 Batman that was the Adam West, Bam Pow kind of Batman. Mm -hmm. And I was, I don't know, eight or nine, something like that. One day I'd run home, I'd, I'd watched it. And uh, I went into the kitchen. Dad happened to be in from working out on the farm. My mom was a teacher, so it was an interesting mix. I don't know if we'll get into that, it doesn't matter. Um, mom was already home by this point. And I walked into the kitchen and I said, someday when I'm a grown up, I'm gonna own my own business and, I, and I'm gonna have a bat pole. So in our <laughs> office, we have a bat pole. Um, I'm not sure if you've been to our office. Were you? I, uh, no. Every single time that you've invited me is like, I think uh, there's some sort of Murphy's Law around it. And I feel like my world is crashing down yeah. around me. I get it. It can be hard, right? I, but, I feel like when we met, you met me at a pivotal point where it was like the pandemic and I was having my small children, which is yes. like, that's, oh. a, that's a combo platter. Correct. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm coming out of it. So now I feel like when you invite <laughs> me next time, I'll be coming into my uh, bat pole era of my life. Right. So. Well, 
And we have a bat pool waiver that people yeah. can sign. Uh, so that is definitely the answer that I would have given yeah. little young little me and adult me. Who do you want to be, Batman? Yeah. So you very much so at a young age then were like, I don't know what type of business, but I am going to be entrepreneurial. Yep. Did you know what that really meant at that time? Um, no, I think it was subconscious. Some of it was, I think, some natural inclinations I had about uh, business kind of appealing to me mm -hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Some of it was, I think, what I witnessed in my dad. Uh, most family farms are generational. Mm -hmm. And my dad started the farm on his own when he came back from the military, got a loan for 40 acres, worked his ass off, mm -hmm. did well, got a loan for another 40 acres, built it up. And I think it's around 600 acres that wow. um, he built up. And again, most of the time that's generational. I think that I didn't realize when I was younger how entrepreneurial he was and all the business lessons I learned from him. Yeah. Right. Like I learned the humility of um, and the down to earth nature of coming in from we had feeder cattle and corn and beans. And he would come in sometimes with like shit on his boots. Mm -hmm. Right. And he would sit down and do the taxes and do the books. And, you know, I think that the, that was a combination of, of skills and activities and talents that I didn't truly appreciate back then mm -hmm. that had a definite impact on me with how I ultimately uh, became a business owner and the way I try to run my business. Mm -hmm. So you were at the computer lab going through junior high slash middle school, whatever we will call it. What kind of happened after that? Was it kind of like the same thing in high school? Yeah. Yeah. I stayed down that path. Um, I went to university of Iowa, uh, as a computer science major and I changed it at the end of the first semester because I was kind of bored, not because I was the next Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. Yeah. But it, it just didn't really excite me that much. So I switched over to what at the time was called management information systems. I'm sure it still exists probably by a different name. Yeah. It's kind of computer science light. It's computer science through the business school. And so you have a few less computer classes and a few more business classes. Mm -hmm. That I really enjoyed. Um, and so uh, I was pretty committed right away to that sort of coursework. Entrepreneurial studies weren't really a thing then. Yeah. Right. right. Um, and so I knew I was eventually going to do my own thing, but I wasn't exactly sure what it was going to be yet. Of course, as luck would have it, I mocked and ridiculed my COBOL class that I took like, oh, COBOL sucks. Why am I taking this? I'm never going to use this. And then my first job out of college, COBOL program. <laughs> right. Um, at Principal Financial Group, the I've had a series of great bosses until I was my own boss. And then it was downhill fast. Yeah. But uh, the best boss I ever had, uh, amongst many really good ones, was my very first boss. I'm um, at Principal Financial Group. That was my first job. And he taught me so many good principles. Like right away, he taught me the distinction between management and leadership, which are two different things. Mm -hmm. um, he pulled me out of as much uh, programming as I had been hired to do and pulled me into management opportunities pretty quickly. And Principal was a great company. They invested a lot in training. So uh, I learned a lot of organizational principles around org design and strategy and people management, resource management, and that sort of thing. Uh, then I moved up here to Minneapolis. I ran a Lawson Software consulting company. And uh, Lawson Software at the time was a pretty big ERP. They were bought by Infor, yeah. you know, not really around anymore um, as Lawson, even though they're buildings here downtown mm -hmm. St. Paul. But one of our clients was Office Max. And so when Office Max, launched or decided to launch their e-commerce in 1998, I ran that project for them. 
So I got exposed to e-commerce in 1998. And I thought, I think there might be something to this e-commerce thing. And here we are 25 years yeah. later. I look back at that launch. I don't know how the hell we did it. Right? Like, How did we launch a national brand in 1998 with e-commerce with the challenges we have today mm-hmm. right, right. with e-commerce, even though it's so prevalent? Um, and from there, it really rolled forward. I launched Wilson's Leathers e-commerce in 2001. I launched Second Swing Golf in 2003. I got my, my MBA from St. Thomas during that period. And um, when I finished up my MBA, I really had two ideas for a business because, again, I knew I was going to start my own thing. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't exactly sure what it was. But at this point, I had narrowed it down to two things. One is what we became uh, today, an e-commerce agency, building and growing e-commerce. The other idea that I had was a fitness technology product. And at the time, it was a Palm Pilot and a chest heart rate monitor with a Palm Pilot that would have a thumbprint swipe enabled Mm -hmm. into it. Mm -hmm. So that if you're a sports team, for example, the Vikings or the Steelers, as a Steelers fan, I should say the Vikings or the Steelers, or a like a physical therapy uh, um, clinic that maybe works with people who've been in car accidents, you can lay out someone's recovery program, see what their heart rate is if they're walking on a treadmill at two miles an hour, right? That sort of thing, which didn't exist back then. Yeah. Now it's right here on our wrists, you right. know, and it just kind of comes with a couple of pieces of Apple equipment. Those were my two ideas. And I wrote business plans for both of those. I had those totally framed up and I started Irish Titan. And uh, I think that if I had the contacts then that I have now, Mm-hmm. I would have pursued the fitness technology product a little more diligently, but I didn't have those then because I was coming out of a corporate IT background. And I was also passionate about e-commerce and we started to build the business around that and fast forward to today and we're an e-commerce agency. So I want to kind of go back to that first boss because he's been pretty pivotal in yeah. kind of your formation. It seems like if you didn't have him, it's kind of like a sliding door moment in your life, yep. so to speak. And you said something that I think is really interesting, which is leadership is very different than management. Let's dive into that a little bit more. What do you feel like are the two big distinctions between those? Well, management is more about uh, process and accountability, consistency, those sorts of principles that are part of running an effective business, right? Leadership is more about making people better, meeting them where they are, inspiring them. And you need both to start and run a business because stay at a business when they're part of a well-managed company, particularly yeah. if you're, you know, if you're early stage company where you're sort of in that heroic phase, uh, one for all, all for one, yeah. management isn't as important then when you got three, five, 10 employees, right? Because yep. it's about being inspired and that kind of energy, but you start to get past that and uh, uh, employees or Titans as we refer to yeah. our employees um, are, are looking for, well, I can't do heroic efforts every day. I don't want to keep pushing the rock up the hill every day. And that's when management comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So you really need both. And he taught me the distinction between those two. Um, because I think we're all, as humans, I think what motivates us, there's a book that I like a lot called Drive mm-hmm. by Daniel Pink, right? Yeah. What motivates us are mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And a lot of that comes from leadership more than management. Um, and he, he pointed that out to me and, and invested a lot of time and exposed me to do you think that's a tool, though, that uh, every person should have in their tool belt? It's like they should know how to be a good leader and a good manager? Or do you think there's people specifically who become good managers and people who just become better leaders? I actually think more of the latter. And a lot of my leadership guru friends would 
at least um, mildly disagree with me because the way I would uh, respond to that starts going on that path that um, leaders aren't made, they're born, Mm -hmm. right? I think there's an argument to that though, because I think um, a lot of leadership skills are more EQ driven than IQ driven. And you can polish some EQ kind of skills, but they're really hard to create, right? Um, And so I think that everyone who's in a position of responsibility in an organization needs to have some level of management and leadership skills, right? It's a little bit like if you play basketball, you got to be able to dribble, right? But if I'm a point guard, I probably am going to be expected to dribble better than if I'm a center, yeah. right? Um, and so I think depending on the position, that scale, that that uh, spectrum starts to take shape. But I think they're they're different, and you can be good at w- both, but probably not great at both. Okay. So was there something also in that business to just how it was run? It was just such a well. It sounds like it was just a really well oiled machine. Mm-hmm. Was there were they? Have you then implied those into like how you run Irish Titan then? Absolutely. Right. So um, Mark Twain has this quote. And I've probably bastardized it by now. To be honest, I've never even verified this is what yeah. somebody told me. So, <laughs> You're like, you know, it's fine. Mark Twain. Right, sounds good enough. Right. Um, the, the English language is great because once you learn all the rules to break, then you can really write freely. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think that that applies to some of the principles with big business, mm-hmm. you know, Principal invested a lot in training their employees, and uh, I, I valued that. I'm sure Target here in town does, right? Yeah. Um, but I think that you also learn a lot of what detracts from true value, right? There, there are layers, there are politics, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think the arc of my career sort of outlines this big to medium to smaller to startup stage. Right, mm-hmm. like principal to uh, Wilson's Leather to Second Swing Golf, and those were big national retailers, but they weren't nearly the size of principal. And then I started Tiny Little Irish Titan, and so I think that what I've tried to do along the way is learn what does make sense and what I don't want to deal with, and what I don't ever want Irish Titan to be um, uh, the, the friction that I want us to endure as we try to move forward. But for example, we have job descriptions for every position. Um, I enforce that they be one page because if they're longer than that, I feel like there's just too much wasted verbiage in there and you're not clear, uh, you're not clear enough in mm-hmm. what you're expecting. We also have competency matrix for matrices for each team where our, our, our positional levels are associate, standard, senior, principal. Those are sort of the career paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for each of those uh, seniority levels, we have different examples of how our values uh, come to life. Mm. Right. Um, and I feel pretty proud that we have that level of documentation in tiny little Irish Titan. And I'm guessing you didn't start out with that though. Correct. Oh no, no, (laughs) (laughs) no, no, not at all. Yeah. (laughs) Trial and error. Yeah. I mean, what was it really like? Um, I mean, cause you were like, you know, you were at Wilson's leather and then you were at, um, second, second swing golf, second swing golf. And then, Right after that, is that kind of when you started yep. Irish Titan 1.0? Was yep. it just you? Myself and one other employee um, who uh, still good friends. He was with us for almost five years. He's at 3M now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was me and Tegan. Shout out to Tegan. And he was a designer, developer, 
still to this day, one of the few people I've worked with that was truly really good at both of those. Cause yeah. usually that's a little bit like leadership and management. Tough to be good at both of them. Yeah. And I did everything else, project management, account management, the finance, the marketing, the sales, the, um, the janitorial services. Once we got an office, yeah. you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and so built it from there. I think that, um, to jump forward to one theme that in retrospect helped me, uh, I think there's this theory of five archetypes where, um, there are all founders, all leaders fall into one, sometimes two of these archetypes. And those are trailblazer, coach, manager, architect, and tactician. Trailblazer is, to use EOS speak, right? Yeah. So I know you're EOS, yep. uh, the visionary, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, coach is someone who's gifted at communicating to people. Um, the architect is someone who's gifted at organizational structure and strategic framework, et cetera. Uh, manager is someone who's gifted at creating a culture of accountability. And tactician is someone who's gifted at whatever it is the company actually does. And so when I started to develop that framework that helped me start to build around me mm -hmm. and know which hat to take off next as we grew enough in size to be able to account for more headcount and the overhead that goes, goes with that. And that's what led to uh, starting to build out a management team and, and different projects. Yeah. Is trailblazer the hat that you like to put on or not necessarily? Trailblazer and coach are the two yeah. uh, um, that I fall into. I'm, I'm not a tactician, so I'm not a designer or developer. I mean, I got out of coding way back principal financial group, right? So I'm not a designer or developer. And I'm okay, maybe better than I let on because I don't want to get, get bogged down with it. But with the architect sort of thing, yeah. manager, I'm not, right? Like, I'm like, charge that hill. And, yes. <laughs> and I say the first sentence or two of each paragraph and assume everybody gets the rest of the paragraph. Right? I identify with huh. that statement. Right. I was like, how can you not see what's in my mind right now? And right. they're like, I need, I, they're like, I need more details. I'm like, I don't have more details for you. Do right. It. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's where, um, as I've built the team, cause we, we enjoy the benefits of good retention. A mm -hmm. lot of our leaders, whether in positions of management or not, have been with us for a long time. So I can paint that picture and charge that hill and then leave the, and leave the room feeling like, yeah, everybody gets it. And at first everybody's like, yeah, let's go do it. And then they're like, wait, what are we doing? And that's when a few of my people are like, okay, here's what he meant. Yeah. Like I'm going to fill in the rest of the rest of the page. Yeah. So I kind of, I just think like the first moments of like our companies are so like, they have just such a big impact. Like what was your plan when you started Irish Titan? Like, did you kind of have this like giant plan? You're like, I have this business plan and this is what we're going to look like in 10 years. Or was it like, you're like, I just really want to make my own business now. I want my bat pole and my own business. It was a little bit of both um, because, again, I knew I was going to start my own company. Yeah. Um, and I had those two business ideas that were relatively well fleshed out. I had a great MBA experience. Um, and so, um, it, and I approached my MBA experience not really from an academic perspective as much as um, having these two ideas and bulletproofing them with some of the professors and some of the fellow students, et cetera. Mm -hmm. so I'm not really an academic by nature. And so I had a pretty good vision, two of them, right? With the two different business ideas. Yeah. I did have um, intentions from the very beginning to build a business of size and sophistication and professionalism. I didn't want it to seem like a fly-by-night amateur organization, right? And at first we were, like, there's no doubt about yeah. it, right? And to some degree, we still are, 
in an intentional way where I try to make sure we're not boring. We don't lose sight of our culture and our soul and we uh, lean in on shenanigans and all that kind of stuff, right? But I did from the beginning have um, a vision of a company that is well-run with a management team that is of size, that has a consistent vision that evolves, but is not erratic. You know, like a lot of companies that pivot left and right. Yeah. Um, and so in that regard, I was stubborn with my vision and flexible with my details. Okay. Um, and then that's how e-commerce unfolded more than the fitness technology product. And I can only imagine like your business has, I mean, you said like it hasn't pivoted a ton, but like e-commerce has pivoted a ton. I mean, over the course of like the past, like for sure 20 years and honestly mm -hmm. the past decade, mm -hmm. you know, um, so how did you kind of manage that throughout the course of your business? Yeah, you know, I haven't really pivoted, depending on how you define that, Yeah, right? We like a term here called pirouetting, too, so <laughs> yes. All right. Um, so I've neither pivoted nor pirouetted. I've actually never even pirouetted in real life. I've probably pivoted in yeah. real life. Um, but I think that part of what has worked out really well for us in the e-commerce space, or myself in the e-commerce space, is it is a very fluid industry. Like the way we're doing it now is different than it was three years ago, five years ago, let alone 10, 15, almost 20. I started the company um, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, when I started Irish Titan, one of the things that I did that was really unique from the very beginning was a Titan only model, meaning we do our work with just our Titans, with no contractors, freelancers, or offshore resources. That is super rare in our space. Super rare. And I understand why, because it's a higher fixed cost. And yeah. when we were smaller, there was much more risk because of that. There are a number of people here in town that were kind enough to, if not take me under their wing, at least get together for uh, coffee or lunch or pints or whatever it might've yeah. been, some whiskey, and would share advice along the way. And a number of them were like, don't do that Titan only model. Like you don't need to do that. There are off offshore is emerging. You can use contractors and freelancers. Your variable cost is a lot higher. Your fixed cost is a lot lower, which reduces your risk. And I would listen to them and I respected them. And I would adopt a lot of their other advice. But on that point, I'd say, mm, no, thanks. I'm doing this very intentionally because it sold really well and it was very different. It's what's contributed to a more visceral uh, culture that attracts and retains differently, et cetera. So we did that and have stuck with that. So we haven't pivoted from that. But because of that, we had to pick some of the platforms and technologies that we would commit to because I couldn't sell, for example, um, a .NET based solution today and a PHP based solution tomorrow mm -hmm. and a Java based solution the day after that. Those are three different tech stacks. Yeah. So if we've not pivoted, we have evolved in the sense of the technology families that we use, the platforms that we use, and we're always expanding services. Every two to three years, I'm pretty intentional in revising and, um, and rebuilding how we go to market, what service offerings we have, um, and, and uh, some, of the, some of the delivery models. Mm -hmm. So we're not stagnant, even though we've been in e-commerce for a long time now. And again, part of, the, part of the reason that we're able to enjoy that is because the industry has been so good. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning of your business, it's just you and your one other employee. And then when do you start bringing on other people? Um, I think that I brought on Tori um, a year or so later. Mm -hmm. And then we moved on to another project manager. 
So it was, I brought Tegan on right away, and then Corey, and then Brittany, um, and it unfolded from there, probably beginning 12 or 18 months after I started Irish Titan. Got it. Yeah. And when was your first, like, oh shit moment? Like, you had gotten to a point where you were like, okay, this is, I feel like we all get to business points where we're like, I can manage this, I've got this, and then there comes a point in our business as it's growing that you're like, this thing has grown to a point where I don't actually know what I'm doing anymore. Um, so surprisingly, my first oh shit moment wasn't until about 2016. Um, and I think that there probably should have been many oh shit moments prior to that. Um, but one of the guys who's I've learned a lot from over the years said that I reminded um, him of him when he was younger. He's retired, living in Mexico now. Um, and he mentioned often wrong, never in doubt. Right. Um, I think that part of entrepreneurship is not necessarily becoming smarter with your first decision, but becoming smarter with your second and third decision that corrects ever so slightly, sometimes ever yeah. so uh, major, uh, that first decision, if it wasn't quite right or if it was wrong. So um, I had a lot of confidence in just figuring things out as I went along. It wasn't until 2016 when we really outgrew um, the team structure we had at the time, the talents we had at the time. We had a lot of unhappy clients. We had a lot of internal strife. And I remember um, driving home that day. I was in my Jeep. I have uh, two vehicles. Uh, and one of them is an old beat up Jeep. Doesn't even have a top. Perfectly sun damaged. <laughs> uh -huh. Starting to rust out yeah. places. Um, and I was driving home in that because I remember it. And I called actually the guy who had mentioned the often wrong, never in doubt saying. Yeah. And I said to him, and he's built multi-million, billion, or not million, but like sizable companies here yeah. in town that everybody would know. And I said, do you ever have any of those days where you're like, I have no goddamn idea what I'm doing? And he said, get home, grab a beer, call me when you're sitting out in your lawn. Uh, so I did that and he talked me through a number of things. But 2016 was the first time I started to feel like, I don't know if I know what the fuck I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was your immediate reaction at that point besides calling this guy and talking to him? Did you still, after you talked to him, were you thinking, maybe I should just end this business? Did you go nuclear? Or did you, were you just like, I'm going to figure this out? I, 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 I knew I would figure it out, especially after talking to him. Yeah. You know, I, I think that I sort of burnt the ships at the shore when I started Irish Titan and felt like failure wasn't an option. Um, and so after talking to him, I did feel better because he has started, you know, multiple sizable companies. And he said that he had tons of those days too. Uh -huh. Right. So misery kind of loves company, yeah. especially from someone you really respect mm -hmm. who's done it multiple times, way farther along in life right. than you are. And like, okay, well, if, if he's done it, then I shouldn't feel so bad if I'm going through that. Gave me some advice. Um, and he asked me a few questions that helped, I think, unveil the fact that we had some structural um, consistency that we could lean on. We had some things around the outside that were problematic, you know, around some of our um, team structure. We didn't have some of the right management in place yet, some of that kind of stuff. And yeah. mm -hmm. like, you can fix that, right? Um, right? And so I felt better after talking to him for sure. Was there, I mean, was there a couple of pieces of advice that you still kind of hold on to to this day from that conversation? Yeah, I think that um, some that come to mind are um, people are doing their best. They'll do better when they know how. He mentioned that to me, mm. right? Because I think that if you can attract and, and hire well, which I'm guessing you can as well, right? Like engaging personality, you got a good vision. Yeah. So it's never really been a problem to hire people, but especially at that time, we were growing so fast that 
um, my, my, the, the biggest thing I bear in the challenge that we had at that time was that I'd not been able to train some of our highly talented people the way I should have. And so that concept of people are doing the best, they'll do better when they know how mm -hmm. really hit me. And he mentioned that to me that very day, um, you know, because, uh, that really, uh, led to me focusing more on that. And, um, I don't know if you know, uh, Laura Boyd here in town, but she has a really good saying where, um, if people say to her, um, about training and hesitancy about investing into it, well, what if I invest in them and they leave? And then her saying is, or her response is, well, what if you don't invest in them and they stay? Right? Yeah. Um, which I think is really yeah. insightful, right? You don't really think of that. Um, and so that, that whole theory was a big lesson that stuck with me. So basically, did you just kind of slow down a little bit and then just say like, we're going to get some more training for these people. We're actually going to take some of our, our timelines and expand them a little bit in regards to like what our expectations are of some of these people. Yeah. So um, another saying that he mentioned was you can't get bigger until you get better. Mm -hmm. And so I did pump the brakes a little bit on growth, which is hard to do, right? Yeah. Yes. Because A, that's I think how we're driven. I'm pretty ambitious and want to grow the company because I want to challenge myself to be able to do that and run a company and all that sort of stuff. So I had to pump the brakes a little bit on that um, and focus a little bit more on building out some of the internal structure, right? Yeah. So that we had the right level of management, the right team structure, the right training, um, some of that operational sound, better management, quite honestly, yeah. back right. to that leadership versus management. We weren't really well managed. And I mean that in a global sense um, back then, not specifically any person or any team, other than it ultimately rolls up to me. And so- I did pump the brakes on the growth and invested more in rebuilding that sort of stuff, which worked out well for us because uh, I would say it took us two years mm -hmm. to, um, for me to feel like, okay, I've checked off a number of those things, a number of the fundamental business practices that I needed to raise our level of proficiency yeah. so that now I can invest more heavily again in sales. Mm -hmm. And so it was late. 2018, we started to do that. We started to um, accelerate growth again. And by this point, we had really deepened our relationships with a number of e-commerce tech partners of a global nature, like Shopify, Big Commerce, et cetera. Yep. Um, and so then when the pandemic hit, we were really accelerating already. And so it was good timing for us with sheer luck about being in the industry yeah. that, yep. that lifted a lot during e-com, or excuse me, during the pandemic. but also. We were well-positioned, leaning in on that. Mm -hmm. Our Titan-only culture really benefited us during that time because we were more cohesive and yeah. all yeah. together, shoulder to shoulder or kilt to kilt, like yeah. I you know, <laughs> enjoy saying. Um, and so the timing was, that was sheer luck that paid off uh, from the investment in rebuilding some of our internal proficiency. I think it's hard for business owners to, because I think we get restrained and, and we get stuck in these cycles of weeks, months, quarters. And years and thinking things have to change over every quarter all the time. And it, it's really hard to look at things in regards to like years or two years in regards mm -hmm. to fix something. Because in our brain, that's like, that's too much time. Correct. And especially because we're generally not wired to be patient. No. no. Right? Uh-uh. Um, and so I think that, that for some reason, as impatient as I am, like I hate lines. I'm incredibly impatient. <laughs> you know, like I don't mind crowds, yeah. but I hate lines. So like, for example, yeah. the Minnesota State Fair... 
I wouldn't mind going if a, uh, if a helicopter could like parachute me in. Yeah. Totally. But I don't want the lines to get in. I don't want the lines for the food. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I'm incredibly impatient, but I, again, I'm stubborn with my vision and flexible with my details. And somehow that has worked um, in a way where I don't think I've been too um, uh, impetuous in, in changing direction all the time or being impatient and, and cutting ourselves off uh, before letting some things happen. Um, also, a couple of things come to mind. Um, I think that we underestimate what we can do. I'm speaking just in general about people. We underestimate what we can do in three, or we overestimate what we can do in three weeks and underestimate what we can do in 30 weeks. Yeah, right? 100%. Um, and that is something I've really tried to coach and, and remind our team of because then generally like every quarter we're making strategic progress. And if you zoom out, you can see then how over the course of two years, three years, your business is in a different place. Right. I think I'm very curious is because what you especially said earlier that management and leadership are very different. And I feel like when you're an entrepreneur, you definitely lead more on the leader side a lot of times. So was it to help you get that kind of like management structure a little bit? Was it like a key hire or did you, what did you do? Cause I think that's where a lot of entrepreneurs get stuck sometimes. Yeah. And then they either kind of decide to sell clothes or kind of like a myriad of things. Like what happened at that point in time? Yeah. Um, so the, Again, I'll, I'll, I'll frame this back around 2016 because yeah. I think that was, that was the biggest pivotal moment for us in our history. Again, I never really thought about closing the business because I didn't consider that an option, but that was by far, so we refer to that as the troubles, which yeah. you know yeah. is an Irish term for a lot of the, the strife between Northern Ireland and Ireland. Mm. Um, and so uh, that was a challenging time for us. And what I realized was there was a certain part of our business, it was our project management practice, was the single biggest area that I had not built out the right way. And so I took a step back and rebuilt that. I went to um, an event. There's a, there's a national association called Bureau of Digital that I'm a big fan of. And they had an owner's camp or owner's summit uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. Went to that, picked the brains of some peers, really walked away realizing we're not executing consistently. We're not executing in a consistent fashion that is delivering the sort of experience that I expect of us. And I realized that that project management area was what we needed to rebuild. Not long after that was when I started to develop that five archetypes kind of model. And that helped me put some framework around um, what seats needed to be filled amongst the leadership and management team within the company. And that led to um, what we call a delivery team versus our sales team. Uh, and the delivery is all of our client-facing work, a little bit more structure around that. Uh, so that was the pivotal moment of, uh, in, in our history, really. It was committing to that level of sophistication. And you pay for growth before growth pays you. Yeah. Right? Um, and as you're growing through certain stages and phases, you have to lean in on that. Um, and I think that it was a bit of a gut check in that regard, which I had already been aware of. Like when I started Irish Titan, I bootstrapped it. We had that Titan only model mm -hmm. from the very beginning. So I was paying Tegan when clients weren't yet paying us, you know? Um, yeah. and so like I knew of that kind of heartburn. It's why I said earlier when we were just riffing before talking that a big part of ownership, uh, owning a business is going to bed terrified and waking up petrified. Yeah. Yes. Right. <laughs> um, but I think that that became 
a moment where I was painfully aware of needing to invest in management level structure. Mm -hmm. I think, um, I think that's just like a great reminder for every single person in my business. The only reason like I pause is because I feel like that. And you had said something earlier, not here, but you were like, at some points you have to grow. And then sometimes you have to really work on operations. And it's interesting for me and my business right now, because we grew a ton this past year. And right. now I'm like, we might just have to take it slow for a bit of next year, which is like really hard as an entrepreneur to swallow. Like the fact that you're like, I'm probably not going to be making as much revenue for a little bit as I want. But this whole idea of like, you need to go slow to go fast. Yep. Yep. Is like very true for I think so many entrepreneurs sometimes in different phases. But I'm curious, do you feel like you can grow and have great operations at some point? Because you said you could either at the previously said you could have one or the other. Yeah. So um, I think as a business, there's this business philosophy. I think it's called the values discipline. Whereas a business, you can only be great at one of three. The other two have to be um, at a minimum level, and the three are customer intimacy, product excellence and um, operational efficiency. Any business that is sustainable and has legacy has one of those three that it's great at, and the other two it is acceptable at, right? So I, I do generally believe in that. I do also at the same time believe at any given time, and let's zoom out a little bit to uh, think about this more over the course of a year. You can really only focus on improving operationally or sales-wise, right? You, I don't think you can focus on both. And I think that that's true if you're a small company or a larger company. I just, I've witnessed that myself. Yeah. Um, when, when we've invested more in operational efficiencies, that then unleashes um, an ability to drive sales. Right. But um, it, then the, the two stress each other out. Hmm. And um, so I think that there, there's, there's um, that healthy tension between those two yeah. uh, and it's possible to do both at the same time i mean i think it really relates to kind of like the s-curve of economics a little bit is like you get like a lot of operational efficiencies which allows you to scale and grow mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden like the operations that once were working are no longer working right. and then you've got to kind of tweak and implement new changes in your operations and then it can right. kind of scale because what got you where you are now is not always what's going to get you where you're going i don't think it ever will. right <laughs> i mean too much changes in the the ecosystem of the world to kind of i know i that. think that's the hard thing right now too is like the so much changed after the pandemic it's it's like it's, i hear from a lot of people that if they feel like we're just like in a completely new world altogether it's like so literally nothing that was five years ago is the same now it seems like yeah yeah i think that there's clearly been a lot that's changed. There's no doubt about that with, with employees and culture and, and, and all of the, the business, uh, the things around the outside of business. Yeah. I think the heart of it is still pretty consistent. Yeah. You know? But another thing that I learned about the, the growth and operational sort of areas of focus is everyone thinks of growth. And this was really helpful for me. So as yeah. you're thinking about things, maybe it'll resonate. Um, everyone thinks of growth as growing revenue, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because that's the most tangible measure of it. Mm -hmm. But growth is really um, becoming a better business, mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that means growing revenue. Sometimes that means growing your operational capability. Yeah. And if you zoom, so everybody pictures that kind of the hockey curve, right? Yeah. The hockey stick for, the, for your growth curve. If you zoom out, there isn't one curve. There's a whole bunch of counter opposing curves. Yep. Right. Even if you're just talking about financial performance, sometimes revenue 
is going down or flatlining while profits are going up mm-hmm. because you've invested in a new line of business previously. Um, you're not as efficient with it, but you've been selling um, and driving revenue. Well, now you start to figure out how to be more efficient in it. So your profits are increasing, but your revenue may have flatlined until you come out with that next line of business, right? Mm-hmm. So revenue and profit are not always in sync or sometimes Revenue is going up, but your um, operational capabilities are going up faster because the investment in people or training is starting yep. to pay off, right? And then also sometimes your business growth curve is going to be different than perhaps your employee's growth curve, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right? Like if you outgrow your employee's capabilities, um, first of all, train them, right? Yeah. And if that doesn't work and you're performing uh, or your business is requiring more than they're capable of, that's a problem, right? Now, on the other hand, if your employees outgrow your capabilities or your business's need, and they become real experts and talented, and if we tie it back to mastery, autonomy, and purpose from, yeah. from Drive, right? They're not really getting those anymore because they've outgrown what the business can provide them for challenge and growth opportunity. So that's problematic too. There's all these counter-opposing growth curves when yeah. you z- zoom out and look at that. Right. I have like questions that are counter-opposed yeah. that I'm like, I want to dive into. First off, I kind of am very curious because you obviously have invested in yourself a lot and kind of like your business knowledge. And is that something that is just like natural and innate to you? Or do you have you like intentionally invested in it by like reading books, taking courses, like networking with people? Like kind of how have you built those skills? Yeah. Um, I really haven't taken any courses since my MBA. Yeah. Um, I think that... Um, a lot of my, uh, mental frameworks are things I have listened to on podcasts, okay. um, or learned from speakers. I do like listening to speakers. I- I'm not like I already mentioned, I'm not super, I'm not a, a real academic, right? So yeah. I've read some books. I don't read as many business books as you might think. Cause sometimes I find them a little self-evident, right? Mm-hmm. Like what I really like are those models, right? Like the five archetypes or the golden circle from Simon Sinek, right? Yeah. I need those sorts of models and framework because then I can fill in the gaps myself with my own learning, right? So I think it's been a little bit more tribal, a little bit more organic than it's been um, an intentional journey. Okay. Yeah. Speaking of Simon Sinek, I know that um, he played in a, like, you got to meet him I and did. that kind of was like a catalyst for stuff. Correct. Yeah. Bring us back to that day. I think the two most impactful um, business thought leaders to me, were Guy Kawasaki and Simon Sinek. Um, Guy Kawasaki has a book called Start With Why. Um, and part of that book talks about, you know, don't worry about building your brand when you start your company. Have a product or a service that people are paying you for and they're happy, right? Mm-hmm. And then your brand will emerge. And for some reason, that really resonated with me. So when I started Irish Titan, I was focused way more on that than I was trying to figure out what our cultural values are and what's our brand promise and all that kind of stuff, which is important, but I wasn't worried about that. Yeah. Well, around 2009, 2010, around 2010, actually, um, I felt like we'd reached a certain point. I had the beginnings of a team around me because we probably had 10, 12 Titans by that point, something like that. And so we had grown a lot. We were growing a lot. And I knew that, okay, now might be a time to take a step back and try to determine um, what is our brand promise? Why do we have customers who are happy, right? Like, how are we going to market? Some of those sorts of things. Um, And at the same time, um, I was also 
going through a divorce uh, and sort of reflecting on some of the lessons that come along with that, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I wasn't perfect, but I didn't really go off the deep end like a lot of people do, yeah. you know, when they go through divorce. So I was kind of asking myself, well, why do I feel still pretty grounded and not going off the deep end, you know, and why is my business doing pretty well? And I wanted to have a, a model around that. So mm-hmm. it was happening intentionally, not accidentally. I had the good fortune of meeting Simon Sinek at an event put on by EO, Entrepreneur Organization, um, and University of St. Thomas, a joint event. There were maybe a hundred of us in the audience. His TED Talk for Start With Why was out, but the book was just coming. Mm. And so in the first five minutes that I met him, it was really impactful um, because we already had trademarked this notion of business first, online second, which is our why. Um, in our sales materials already talked about partnerships, not transactions being the sort of experience we want our clients to, to, to enjoy. And that is our how, um, at the time our what was e-commerce and complex websites with a focus on user experience. Right. Um, and so part of what he talks about is the fact that your, what can evolve over time, but your why definitely really shouldn't and your how probably shouldn't either. So in the first five minutes, I drew that golden circle. Um, but then he also introduced a bit of a challenge to come up with your personal why. And that resonated with me when I was trying to figure out why do I still feel pretty grounded. You know, and I have two daughters, 24 and 19 now, obviously much younger then. And it was really important to me to be a good dad and a present dad. Um, and, and so I was trying to, to do what I could for them because I had uh, them half the time, very significant, a good relationship with my ex-wife. We co-parented well together and that was important to me. So that was going into, I think, that personal why, which over the course of a few weeks, I figured out my personal why is to leave a legacy, which is also why I I was driven to start a business and all that sort of stuff. Um, The other thing that resonated with me when I met Simon Sinek, and I think one of the real reasons that it became so impactful, is um, I was doing some work with a sales consultant, and she was challenging me to know more about our competitors. And like, how are we pricing compared to our competitors? And how are we delivering compared to our competitors. And um, with our Titan only model, we never really com- could compete on price very well, Yeah. right? Which was also intentional. I didn't really want to compete on price to begin with. I wanted more of a premium kind of feel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I would argue with her in a, in a collegial way, right? Like, I don't give a shit about my competitors. Like, I'm not measuring myself against them. I kind of have an idea of what I want us to do. And I don't want to get distracted by what they're doing or how they're doing it. Well, then when I... Uh, heard Simon Sinek speak, he talked about how if you know your why, you don't really pay attention to your competitors nearly as much because you have your true north, you have your vision, you have your why. And so I was sitting there and I was like, if I had seen him a week ago, I could have argued so much more effectively <laughs> yes. with this sales consultant, right? Who I felt really highly of. She was yeah. great, but like I could have argued yeah. much more effectively and she might have said, okay, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it was really impactful. It was, it was June 15th, 2011. Um, I remember the date. Um, and then a few of us went out for drinks afterwards yeah. at uh, Vincent's when it was around and talked to him in a small group. And I probably had three, four, five minutes alone with him. It was great. He was really, he was just as eloquent and articulate and inspiring then as he is now. Yeah. Um, and he was just as eloquent, articulate and inspiring in the large group setting of 100 people or whatever it was mm-hmm. in the auditorium and uh, 20 people at Vincent's and the one-on-one when it was just he and I. So really, uh, like creating this network for yourself or this this uh, kind of fluid way of learning has been important to you in mm-hmm. a way. Because I yep. think 
And I think what he was saying is like, it's so impactful because I think so often we get lost in our business just by being in our business, doing the day to day. And we forget why we're actually doing it. And then like five years go by and you're like, what am I doing here? I'm just right. still here. Right. Yeah. I think that, that if, if e-commerce weren't a, an evolving fluid industry, I would be bored. Right. So I have the, the, benefit of falling into that, right? Because yeah. I don't think I was conscious at the time of, okay, what industry can I get into that's going to remain fluid and never get stagnant, right? So I think it was through maybe some instinct that was subconscious and some luck. Um, and then that experience of seeing him where he brought up the concept of a personal why when I was also going through kind of a personal journey or ordeal or adventure at the time, which helped me realize um, that my personal life is to leave a legacy that provided really two true north, if you want to yeah. mix analogies that, that I think has helped us really not pivot and remain consistent. No, I think it's very, um, yeah, I think it's like sometimes it, businesses are formed and there really isn't like that true north or why, like the previous person that we just interviewed, it's like really evolved from it was like a hobby farm to now it's like you kind of sometimes will find your why right. almost while operating your business. And then I think some yep. people it's very intentional of like this is I'm operating this and creating this because of this reason. And I think both of them are valid. Just one is like a very windy path to get one. And yep. one is like I'm starting this and this is where we're going. Yeah. And I think that um, some of the, my experience might be the fact that I didn't start my business until I was 34. Yeah. You know, and sometimes a lot of people are surprised. You didn't start Irish Titan until you were 34. And a lot of people that I knew and grew up with were like, you haven't started your own business yet. Right. Because I was sort of like defiantly wired. You're like, I'm starting a business in Batpole. Like, this is it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 And again, I'll attribute some of that back to that first boss I had because another lesson he taught me was the value in being really conscious of who you work with and work for the people yeah. more than the name of the company on the shingle. And yeah. so, Subsequent positions, I really interviewed um, my boss, leader, peers really carefully, right? If you exclude weekends and sleeping hours, you're at work far more yeah. than you're not. And so I wanted to, I, I cared where I spent my time. Um, and so I had a series of really good bosses, which also I think removes the thorn in the paw for a lot of entrepreneurs that frequently start their business because they have a fuck you, I'm going to start my own business now, right? I never really had that um, for good reasons, yeah. right? My boss, my bosses, my leaders um, sort of put up some, some guidelines to keep me in line mostly and gave me a lot of latitude to, for trial and error and, and to learn as I went along. So it was more of an organic sort of um, adventure, if you will, before starting Irish Titan. So by the time I was ready to start Irish Titan, I had either figured out some things about what I wanted to do and how I wanted to do it, or at least I think subconsciously had. Mm -hmm. So I think we like very much so for e-commerce, like the pandemic and especially for you, a majority of your clients are the majority of your clients D to C based customers, or is it a blend of kind of like product and service? It's a uh, very little service, but mm -hmm. we have a blend of depending on how you distinguish between D to C and B to C. Um, and B2B. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So we have a blend pretty well distributed between those three verticals, if you, if you distinguish yeah. B2C and B2B. Got it. And at that moment, it's like March of 2020, were you primed to kind of take on the influx that became or? We were, again, through sheer good luck. Yeah. Because we had started to flip the lever from uh, getting better to getting bigger. 
right? If you go back to that saying, yeah. oh, you can't get bigger until you get better. Um, we had invested in getting better for a few years, and now we were flipping that lever over to, okay, let's grow. Um, and 19 was a good year for growth yeah. for us, and 20 accelerated. Uh, we were already accelerating, and then we were able to capitalize on that with um, uh, the unfortunate pandemic we all endured. Yeah. What was that growth looking like? Because I know it was for a very long time that you were just a Minneapolis-based business, but then how did it start to grow? Like, and was yeah. it intentional or just kind of like, you're like, oh, like heat mapping says this is where we should go. Yeah, I, I sort of thought that um, we might cover that topic because I think that the pivot, if you will, in this case, yeah. in moving from, when we started Irish Titan, we were local. Yeah. Right? Because I was hustling, right? Like, um, I think that you can't, I think it's, too convenient to say that you can start an online business without um, hustling offline, yeah. right? Um, yes. And so we were local for sure for a while. Then we became more regional. Um, and I think that if we had been located, for example, in a um, New York or in LA, maybe Chicago, we might have been more national more quickly. But Minneapolis didn't have then the e-commerce activity that some of the other markets did. So um, we were regional and I was trying to figure out how to best crack that nut to go national because sort of ambitious with how I want to grow the business. Like I had said, I had a vision of starting a company of size and scale, scale and sophistication, right? So we can be national and there's no reason we can't have customers nationally, um, even before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things that's unique to the e-commerce space <clears throat> is the amount of partnership and cooperation between what are called tech partners and what are called SI, solutions integrators, or agencies, okay? So tech partners are like PayPal, BigCommerce, Shopify, Magento, ShipStation, ShipperHQ, Klaviyo, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And um, SIs are companies like Irish Titan. Good SIs get about half their leads from partners tech partners and good tech partners, not really good ones, all of them get about half their leads from the pool of quote unquote, good SIs. So I had been investing in those kinds of relationships, which were starting to really blossom in 2019. When 2020 rolled around, then we already were running downhill with those and our brand and some of our talents played well with Zoom and virtual um, uh, uh, conversations. And I was vocal about some of my thoughts around how people work best. I said that we're like, that Irish Titan's not gonna be a remote only company. We're still gonna be a Titan only and we're still gonna have people in the office. Yeah. And I said that from the very beginning, which was kind of a lonely spot for a while, yeah. right? <laughs> I bet, yeah. Um, and so I think that that attracted some, some visibility mm -hmm. and uh, pulled us into some more, um, thought leadership opportunities. And some of those thought leadership opportunities were around culture and entrepreneurship and business. And some of those were more around e-commerce. Yeah. And then the momentum fed on itself, right? Like forward momentum creates forward momentum. No, I think that's interesting. I mean, I commend you for kind of saying like, I'm going to commit to this, that we are going to always have some part of in-person aspect because it was Malcolm Gladwell that also was very much so during that time. Like yep. I see the importance of people being in person. Like we are a social you know, species. And I mean, he took a lot of slack for it during that time as well. So, yeah. And it's interesting now that we've kind of come always fun looking in the rear view mirror, but here we are in 2023. And like, I know for my staff, like we like our at home days and we love our in-person mm -hmm. days. Like that hybrid blend is I think what 
is the sweet cocktail mix that we got out of it. Totally agree. We have everybody in the office on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, um, and then can flex on Monday, Thursday, Friday. And yeah. we have a number of people in the office all week. Yeah. Mm. Right. Um, but I think I never really understood the companies that uh, said you need to be in the office two days a week, pick your two days. Well, that defeats the whole purpose because right. the reason we're in the office is to do the things that we can all benefit from doing together. Yeah. Whether that's culture kind of stuff that happens between the meetings, right? Or the work that benefits from collaboration and whiteboarding and, and that kind of chemistry in person. Right. right. And so like if I'm in two days and you're in two days and we're on uh, opposite cycles, we're not capitalizing on any of that. I never really understood that at all. No. So we designated those days and we do all of the, the, the team meetings and all of the cadence meetings that benefit from IRL um, yeah. on those days. And we had some people um, who were very vocal before we could bring people back. I said, we're going to be doing this. And we had some people who were very vocal about, don't be a dinosaur. Nobody's going to do that. You know, and I'm like, I, I disagree. Like, we're, we don't need you to be here so we know that you're working. That's not why we're having yeah. an in-office kind of culture. Um, and some of those people left, and a number of them have commented to Titans they're still in touch with that now they work from home and they miss being in an office. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Uh, so it was, it was uh, COVID in the pandemic, I think, challenged our business and leadership muscles way more than it did domain experts. Mm -hmm. No, I would very much so uh, agree with that statement. Do you have kind of like a setup then for like on Tuesday and Wednesday, we're kind of doing this blend of meetings together or is it? Yep. Okay. Yep. So let's see, today's Wednesday. So this afternoon we have what we call our first team meeting, which is our broad management team. Mm -hmm. um, and that's always on Wednesday afternoons because we're all there. Um, Tuesdays are typically all the team meetings, like our engineering meeting, our project management meeting, et cetera. So we've coordinated all those to be on those specific days um, to capitalize on people, you know, the, seeing the, the greens of each other's eyes. Yeah. How do you manage teams that are then in different cities? Yeah. So um, that is still something that I think is difficult. Yeah. Uh, because we do have, we're building presence out in Texas. Mm -hmm. um, and that's also a partnership playback to the value of partnerships in our space. The reason we chose um, the Austin area um, isn't just because I like the music down yeah. there, um, it, which I do, um, but it's because that is sort of a center of gravity for e-commerce tech partners. And so by planting a flag down there and being down there, we've doubled down on our relationships with them, yeah. which has helped our business. Um, I don't think we've quite cracked the code being a company of our size with having remote teams because as a company of our size, we don't really have the budget to fly everybody around every month. Yeah. Right. Um, we do bring our sales leader who's down there up once a month for our team meetings. I'm down there a week or two each month. Um, so we've been good enough that it's worked. It still feels like it's not quite ideal though. So for example, if she's not up for our ATM or our all Titan meeting, um, she and the other remote Titans, I feel like they don't have as good of an experience, yeah. right? They're not in the, in the room when I'm throwing out beef sticks because we do Titan trivia every month and the winner of each question gets, uh, Von Hansen's beef sticks or frozen peas or something. If they're yeah. a vegetarian, um, <laughs> you're like, I'm just it's part of the thing here. Right. Well, yeah. Right. Um, and so it's not quite the same experience. I don't feel like we've quite cracked that nut yet. Yeah. One of the things that helps though is we view it and talk about it as a hub and spoke model. Yeah. So we're not remote anywhere. We hub and spoke it. So we 
have our hub here in Minneapolis. We have a spoke down in Texas. We will have additional spokes as we continue to expand and acquire other companies. Yeah. So it puts a little bit of framework around it. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I know, me too. I was just thinking about it. I was like, sick. Love that. If yeah, you, they're a big hit. Trust me. Bon Hansen, sure. beef sticks know, are the best. Darren, it just like all of these things just make so much more <laughs> sense as the more you know about Darren. So, and yeah. uh, a few months ago, this also won't surprise you. I didn't get the beef sticks. I forgot because I was running around, you know, like we all do. Uh, so, a few minutes before the meeting, I went into the kitchen and I grabbed some tortilla chips and I wrote an, on the chips with a black magic marker. Uh, something like exchange for one package beef sticks of your choice. And so then I hung, I handed the chip out. I didn't throw it, right? Because it would break. Yeah. Whereas the beef sticks I throw. Oh gosh. The chip I gave to them, and I think only a few of them have made their way back to me. Maybe they're being kept as souvenirs by the other people. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's amazing. <laughs> so what's next for you then? Um, so I mentioned earlier that I have pretty ambitious goals. Um, I, We've talked a lot about evolving and challenging ourselves yeah. and how things change over time. Um, so we're at about 40 Titans right now. Um, I have a vision of driving us to around 150, um, which is pretty significant company of size in our space, particularly still privately held. Um, our industry is one where there are acquisition opportunities all the time. Mm -hmm. And many companies my size have been acquired on there are very few, if any, that are privately held around that size of 150. Uh, I have that vision in mind because I think that that is a size where we still all can know each other, mm -hmm. where nobody can be so small that yeah. they don't matter. Um, and then also I learned that this is another example of either luck or, or intuition, but there's this concept of Dunbar's Law of 150. Yeah. Um, I was just about to bring that up. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that till like last year. And I uh, started to paint this vision of 150 about three years ago. Uh huh. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Well that sound that's kind of a logical sound check then that makes sense. Um, sanity check, I should say. So that's my vision still in the e-commerce space, but that can mean a lot of things, right? So, um, wherever consumers convene is where commerce is going to happen. And so whether it's the building sites or the growing sites, because we do a, a significant portion of our business now is more on the marketing services for e-commerce merchants um, or expanding what sort of technologies we're involved in, whether it's different platforms or point of sale. Um, there's a lot of future to us. And you've been a part of Ecom Forum. There's sort of uh, been some discussions around how do we invest more in e-com form and the training opportunities around that, like mm -hmm. building certification and academies for e-commerce professionals. Right. So there's a lot of blue ocean in front of us. Yeah. Um, and right now, um, actually, uh, investing in building out, a, uh, a management team that will help us continue to get sophisticated, um, and investing in that there's acquisitions along the way, I think to 150, um, there's some organic growth there too, but It'd be a lot of heavy lift, lifting to get to um, that size and capitalizing all the opportunities we try to build. Yeah. If you were to look into the future five years from now, where do you think e-commerce is going to be different than it is now? So I have this concept of commerce anywhere because um, I think that uh, part of the key in being a good merchant is doing business the way your customers want you to, right? And so 
there used to be a very, what I would call a binary multi-channel kind of model, a branded site and brick and mortar, mm-hmm. right? Um, now we're at this point of omni-channel mm-hmm. where um, some of it's aspirational, but in concept, you have one view of the customer regardless of where they're interacting with, right? I think we're only scratching the surface in that because there's social, there's marketplace, there's branded, um, your branded site, there's your own brick and mortar, there are pop-up stores. Well, five years from now, there, um, I think there's going to be shoppable video that is that is um, gained traction. Maybe voice will have gained traction, right? Like they've talked about voice from a commerce perspective, yeah. but it hasn't really taken off at all. Yeah. Right. Um, so something like that is going to emerge. We were talking earlier, the next thing, you know, is rarely what gets talked about and it kind of comes out of nowhere or is a combination of other things. Mm-hmm. But I think that this concept of commerce anywhere is what is going to take shape because as a consumer, you want to be able to buy when it's convenient for you. Right. And now it's pretty convenient with Amazon and branded sites. Yeah. Right. And brick and mortar if it's logistically, physically convenient. Yeah. Three, five years from now, there are going to be other ways to accomplish that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Additional ways. No, I think that's the biggest thing is like... um it's just honestly like a trend that I've heard over this past year is just like this idea of convenience is more than ever, which has its odd aspect of it is that with convenience, we've actually also become more disconnected as a society because it's very much of this thing. But I'm very curious, like that's the thing that I'm watching is like in China, like live shopping is extremely popular. And there's just some things that are translating in the Asian market that just don't seem to be yet here. And I'm like, is it just because like, I mean, they have, you know, like the mega app and that's like all that they use. There's like WeChat and it does everything. Whereas like here, right. we're just like, no, we want 8,000 different apps for right. everything. But right. I'm, I don't know. I don't know if we are because we kind of are like, not, we're like, no, Mark, I don't think we do want that. So yeah, I'm not sure about shoppable videos. Sometimes I think, you know, I think that's going to happen. Other times, I don't know if, if culturally yeah. that clicks with us. Um, so we'll have to see. I do agree totally with your concept that convenience can create disconnection. Yeah. You know, and we are a culture and a, and a country that is sort of wired for that connection that we yeah. all feel. Um, and that also ties back to the hybrid workplace. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, that sort of thing. Um, so I don't know how much it's cultural about why it works over there or habit, right? Like yeah. habits have grooves. That's why they're hard to break. And yeah. so... Maybe the fact that WeChat is so used by everybody, you know, we don't have that single, that single mega app here. Yeah. Right. Maybe that's what makes shoppable video tough to overcome. Or maybe somebody, some, maybe somehow two or three emerge um, and that becomes a thing around events or or something. I'm not quite sure, but something's going to emerge. I feel like it's going to be something. I mean, I feel like they're like with my, at least in my shopping experience, I'm so distracted all the time. I feel like I need to buy something and I put it in the cart, but I don't want to go through the whole process of like entering my payment and going through the thing like that. I sometimes wish I could literally just say to Siri, like, hey, Siri, I put this in my cart, right. remind me in a day to like pay for it or pay for it when I've got five sh- things in my shopping cart. And I almost need literally an app or an AI to right. say to me, don't forget to buy those things. Don't forget to buy those things. You were interested in that thing. Don't forget it because a month, ha- month later happens and I forgot that I was going to buy that thing. Right. Right. Yeah. I think. I think voice probably has more upside than shoppable video yeah. for us because we're all using Siri more and more. I was just mentioning my girlfriend the other day, we're in New York over the weekend for the very last ever Kiss concert. It's my mm-hmm. 36th Kiss concert 
Oh. Wait, 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 wait. You were in New York last weekend? Yeah. I was also in New York last weekend. <laughs> wait, you were? Yes. Were you also at the Kiss concert Saturday night? <laughs> no, I was in Morning Train Station when the Kiss concert was going on. And I was like, why is it so fucking hard to get a pizza from Pizza Suprema right now? And yep. everybody was like, because it's the Kiss concert. Yep. Hilarious. I don't I Whenever like... somebody says it's the last concert, I just like look at Elton John and Sharon. I'm like, mm-hmm, sure, it's your last <laughs> concert. Yeah. So again, we could go off the rails now yeah, since yeah. I've been to 36 Kiss concerts yeah. now and spent <laughs> thousands of dollars on stuff and endless pointless arguments about how they should be more respected and all that kind of stuff. But I really do believe that Kiss is done as a performing band as we know them. Kiss can't like go out and just off the cuff do a show, right? Like yeah. Pyro and Fire oh, and yeah. Rockets and all that kind of stuff. Gene and Paul in their 70s, they're not all that healthy anymore. Paul can't sing. I don't I don't think they're going to continue um uh as a as a performing band. Maybe they'll do something without makeup someone off kind of thing, but I really do think they're done. And now I'm even putting it out on a podcast. My friends already were going to give me hell if they ever perform again. And now it's on, on record. Um, but yeah, I was there. And I was mentioning to my girlfriend how ubiquitous AirPods are now. Yeah. Right? And remember when they first came out, I was actually part of this camp where I'm like, I'm not going to wear those. Like, those look stupid. Like Talking to yourself. Right. Like, you seem yeah. disconnected. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now they're ubiquitous. Right. So I think that voice might be like that as yeah. the technology improves. Right? Like... Amazon was talking about it with Echoes a while back about how you can use an Echo to order more sugar and all this sort of thing, right? While you're cooking and your hands are dirty. Yeah. That's never really took off. And no. maybe that as an example will, but something I think will yeah. with when your hands are full or you're just, the technology recognizes your voice, can process it and has enough downloaded that you don't have to have a good right. Wi-Fi connection, you know, so that it can add a, a green leather jacket to your cart, um, which right. I have in one of my carts right now. Gosh. Uh, but I think voice has an opportunity to take more shape because I think it's going to improve faster than shoppable video will from a cultural acceptance. Right. Because I think consumerism as itself, I like to think of it as it's a stream of consciousness. It's like there's another, there's all these streams in our heads, but there's these things that we're like thinking of buying in our head all the time that are just on this stream. And sometimes the stream cycles back through and you're like, oh yeah, that right. thing I was going to buy. Right. Yep. And I sometimes want to be reminded about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Bat pole. Yes. Bat pole. <laughs> We're going to end with bat pole. Yeah. I've got questions. Like, A, how did the bat pole came to be? <laughs> um, so um, two questions I get a lot is, how did you come up with the name? And what's the deal with the bat pole? Yeah. Um, and so when we first moved into our current space, so we're in West End, St. Louis Park. We're in what used to be a big Nestle plant. So it's a big industrial chic as they... <laughs> tried to spin it, you know. It is this square footage price because it's industrial chic, industrial right? Chic. And the guy that was uh, our uh, that was the tenant rep um, or the 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 leasing agent for the yeah. owner, uh, I was friends with him. His wife worked for me at Wilson's Leather. Small world, right? Yeah. So he he says that, and I say, Joe, shut up. I'm not going to listen to industrial chic. I've known you too long to put that bullshit on. Yeah. Right? But anyway, it's uh, it was a real nice office. Still is. We love our space. We moved into just the third floor um, back in 16, a year of many things, right? We already yeah. talked about that was a year of troubles or the troubles. So we move in, we outgrow the third floor um, within the first year, which was faster than I expected. The only space available left in the building was right beneath us, luckily. And that wasn't well suited for somebody else to take on its own because it didn't have great lighting. So um, we uh, added that to our lease. and. We had to put in 
stairs. We had to uh, create a giant hole in the middle of it to put the stairs in because it was had been totally separate yeah. floors. So we're meeting with um, the architectural firm that worked with us when we first moved in because we had a great experience with them. So meet with them and they're drawing it out. And I said to them, hey, put a bat pole right there. And he laughs, you know, and kind of like dismissed it. I'm like, no, seriously, put a bat pole in there. Yeah. Um, and so they drew it in. These headphones keep falling, sorry. Um, and then it turned into quite an ordeal to actually get a pole. There aren't a lot of places that- I was going to say, yes, where do you acquire said pole? Right. So um, there aren't a lot of places that sell them anymore, which that was unknown to me because for a while, um, the construction company- who's distinct, separate and distinct from the architectural firm, right? Like the architectural firm lays out yeah. everything. The construction company builds the spec. And we use both the same companies we'd use when we moved in. The construction company was a little Minnesota nice about this bat pole, right? Kept thinking it, that I didn't really mean it, that it wouldn't go through. So as construction was progressing, I was like, uh, where are we at with the bat pole, right? <laughs> And then he said, well, I kind of thought this was going to go by the wayside, so we weren't really planning on it. I said, no, we're doing the goddamn bat pole. Yeah. I want this more than the stairs at yeah. this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't really need the stairs, the stairs right, yeah. if we do the bat pole. Yeah. 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 More and cost he, effective. So then he said, well, I'm worried if we do the bat pole, someone's going to get hurt, and then St. Louis Park won't let us do construction anymore. And I said, well, you should have told me this months ago, <laughs> because now I'm going to handle it, because we're doing this. Yeah. You should have just, like... Told me instead of being Minnesota nice yeah. about it, right? So then turns out the city is reluctant to approve it, right? Um, and helps to have some friends in high places that kind of help push it through. Well, then there's only like three or four places that sell fire poles, and they were reluctant to sell it to us. They're like, you guys are gonna like you guys are gonna kill yourself. Like, we're yeah. not selling this because we don't want the liability. So finally I got one place to do it. And now the construction company's like, well, we're definitely not putting this in. Right. So I said, well, are you going to actually put it in anyway, or are you going to use a contractor to do this kind of work? Right. Is it what you would do or would you have subbed it out? Which is totally fine. That happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. And so we would have subbed it out. And I said to who? And so he gave me their contact info. I called them. They came in. I describe it. I show it to them. And they're like, we love this. We're all over this. <laughs> <laughs> so they put it in. Yep. Yeah. They're like, we have good insurance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was quite the ordeal. And I think that my, my Titans were tired of hearing me yelling on the phone to somebody that was saying no to us. Is that part of the, uh, was that part of the handshake deal that you were like, yes, I will have a waiver as long as I can have this yeah. bat pole. Yeah. That's why you're like, there is a waiver people. There is a waiver. We also have a lock on, on the gate that opens it, you know, so that it doesn't, uh, open by accident and someone would accidentally fall down it oh, or yeah. anything yeah. like that. You know, uh, it's quite an experience watching people, go down it because it's 34 feet um and 34 feet yeah it's it, <laughs> we have a fire pole in st louis park doesn't darren isn't fucking around he was like i am having a bat pole right yeah right it wasn't like a christmas tree kind of yeah. yeah. pole you know like it's 34 feet but does anybody have to prove themselves before they go on it you just have to sign the waiver <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised so like the risk of getting hurt on that is almost nil For because sure. yeah. the only way you would really yourself is if you just like let go, go right going down don't let and go. your natural instinct is the exact not, opposite isn't yeah here's actually how a few people have hurt themselves they hold it so tight their hands burn going down like squeak squeak yeah. squeak you know and they get down they're like oh my god my hands are killing me yeah um 
if you get good at it, you can do it with just your legs and no hands. Um, we had a former Titan, he's Titan alumni now, who was one of our funniest Titans. He could go down with just his legs because you like your your thighs and your calves oh, yeah. are what's yeah. controlling it. And my office is right outside it. And first time he did it I, I, that I noticed anyway, he goes, "Hey Lynch," and I look out there. He, <laughs> he has his laptop and a cup of coffee, and he goes, "See ya," and like goes down with no hands. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> Be honest, every day when you leave the office, do you just jump the bat pool and go down? Um, not every day. I, I do it a decent amount. Um, sometimes it'd be, you'd be surprised, right? Because like if I'm wearing shorts, if I'm there at night or something like that, I'm not going yeah. down it. For sure. Um, if I'm in a kilt, which I do more frequently throughout the year than you might think, I'm not going down yeah. it. If you're carrying stuff, it's hard, right? But I go down on it a decent amount. We have a number of Titans that go down it. Yeah, so funny. All right, I have a very controversial question I'm going to ask you to round out our podcast because you're the only person we've had on our podcast that has an MBA, and we kind of like mm -hmm. to say we're the podcast for the people that don't have an MBA. I heard that, yeah. Yeah, and so are you bullish or bearish on an MBA for people? On the value of an MBA? Yeah. Um, um, Bullerish, I guess. <laughs> you know, yes. Like, I, th I think that... So my MBA was in venture management. And so a lot of my coursework was around some of the concepts of entrepreneurial uh, experiences, right? So um, I think it helped put some framework around some things I already expected that I'd already heard, et cetera. Um, I think that it gave me some financial, um, which I'd already like had a lot in my undergrad, but it gave me a little bit it, re it refreshed some of my financial literacy yeah. to handle a lot of those things on my own for a long time. Uh, so I got a lot of value out of it. I also paid for it out of pocket, yeah. right? Yeah. So I put a lot into it. I built mm -hmm. a lot of good relationships. I'm still friends with people I went through it with. Mm -hmm. um, there are a few professors that I'm still friends with that gave me some good advice. Um, I don't know that it's necessary though, you know? Right. Yeah. So that's why it's a little bit of a mix. Like I said, I'm not an academic. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it was more the practical experience and some of the specific tools. Do you know what mind mapping is? Yeah. 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 So I learned that in one of my MBA classes, right? I use it almost every day. Really? Yeah. Huh. Um, and so I think that that's an example of, I could have learned it somewhere else too, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. But um, like that was a takeaway that had tremendous practical value for yeah. me. Right. So there are things like that that I can point to. That I got value out of. Um, there were other things. I was like, this is a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, so it's kind of a mix. Yeah. I mean, I think it probably had a big impact on you that it was like a postgraduate thing versus like an undergraduate thing. Correct. I would absolutely, if that were the question, I would say bullish on um, doing it later in your career yeah. rather than right after your undergrad. Yeah. I don't think you learn the same thing. No. I mean, I think uh, I recently, like, we were interviewing somebody and they're like, I'm going to school for entrepreneurship. And I was like, you just, do like that's something that just you that. just do that right. like i was kind of like amazed that that was actually like a degree that you seek i was like you either build or you don't build right you know yeah right. like there's things to learn within it but yeah yeah maybe maybe some of my motivation well it could be a couple of things i mentioned my my parents my mom is like four classes short of her phd my dad's mm -hmm. four days into his college experience yeah mm -hmm. um <laughs> and you know then then left and so maybe some of it was what I saw in my mom, you know, um, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it too much. And some of it, which I've also not thought about, might be sparked by what you just mentioned. So I came out of that big company experience, right? Yeah. And if I had started my own company sooner, I bet I wouldn't have got it. 
Um, but since I was finishing up uh, my MBA before starting Irish Titan, I think yeah. it was maybe part of that natural progression for me. Yeah. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Darren, thank you so much for being on the World's OKS Entrepreneur Podcast. You were such a surprise and delight, and I'm just always excited. I can't wait to go down that bat pole now. I know, yeah. me too. I can send a soft copy of the waiver so you can sign that before coming over. Oh, I would love that. For and it's actually written in a bat pole waiver. Like it refers to superheroes and everything. So, yes. Can't wait. <laughs> and then, yes, we're going to dive in deep on this Marvel DC thing on a separate side thing. So, yes, yes, for sure. Well, this was great. Thanks for having me. I hope I did okay. Yeah. Yeah. You did pretty okay. Yeah. yeah. Good. Thank That's you all so I was much. aiming for. Thanks. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Wow, Andrew, that just honestly felt like, uh, it actually kind of felt like an MBA in a, a jam-packed hour, I oh, have yeah. to say. Yeah, he as being our first MBA, he really, really schooled us, I feel like. Yeah, and just like expect that from us every now and then, y'all. Sometimes the story is just so good that maybe they did have an MBA and we were just like, you know what though? I think it was just like honoring the fact that he had an MBA, but it came at like a different point in his career and kind of like really dialing into it as well. Right. And he's not your typical who you'd imagine having an MBA because he's unapologetically himself. And that's the thing I love about him. The fact that he's got a bat pole in his office. Yeah. And I mean, if you don't know, definitely look up Darren Lynch on um, the interwebs because he is full on, he lives and breathes the, the Irish life. Like, I mean. Consistent yeah. branding through yeah. and through. But I hope you loved today's episode. Darren was such a really kind guest, and we hope to have him back on at the future time to get our second MBA, mini MBA. Totally. He was super fun. Yeah. And I highly recommend, I I have read the Daniel Pink's book, Drive, but I have been holding on Simon Simic's book, uh, Start With Why, for a really long time, and I think it's going to be my next one. Yeah, me too. Because I think I love the idea of him really talking about, like, the two whys, like, that building that legacy, like, that common through line, because I think for a lot of entrepreneurs, they're is this whole very much the business side of us but also this like personal side and when you can kind of really acknowledge those and make that true your co-blended north star i think that's truly a big unlock that i've never honestly heard before yeah i guess the, and the the thing about the why was the personal why and the business why that's something that's so i feel like very often overlooked so if you love today's episode please share it with five of your friends that's the best way for our podcast to grow um go find us on instagram to kind of see videos from actually our recording so if you've never been on our instagram channel we actually take video from it and so you get to see the guests in person talking about it through some of your favorite snippets which is really fun so yeah (laughs) (laughs) awesome well thanks for uh thanks for sticking around and we will talk to you next time have an okay week have an okay week bye